Imagine it's the year 180 AD. Another devastating plague has just swept through the empire, disappearing almost as quickly as it came, and leaving devastation in its wake. In some towns and cities, as many as 2,000 people have died each day. At the first signs of disease, you and many other aristocratic families fled to the safety of your country villas. Now, upon your return one Sunday, you notice the colonnades are empty. Likewise, in the Temple of Artemis, only a few old priests linger. The city's cultural institutions seem empty. But as you walk through the deserted streets, you hear a strange sound coming from some of the small homes around you. People inside are singing, chanting. It sounds like worship. You hear a word repeated, Christus. Isn't that the God of the Galileans? The way followers? You begin to wonder, in your absence, has the whole town changed its religion? Uh, I'm so glad we can gather in this way, uh, in these times and these days. Uh, I want you to know and let everybody know that uh, your staff is working really hard to sort of retool and change and, and do some things uh, in a new way to bring you uh, helps and encouragements into your home uh, during these days. Uh, you know, something that's life-giving beyond the, um, you know, the the, the country models and the uh, infection charts and all of those other things. I'm not saying that that's not important. Uh, and to be safe, please do be safe. But uh, it's not really soul uh, giving, is it? You need something more than beyond that. And that's what we're trying to do. And we'll talk about some of those things uh, later in our, our time this morning. But wanted to tell you about that. That What you just heard was uh, the beginning of the opening episode of a new podcast Ben and I are doing called These Days. The subtitle is The Resilient Way of Jesus, and uh, I encourage you to check it out. It's not a story format. It, some of the, There will be stories in it, but it's a discussion format. It follows, generally speaking, the uh, Resilient Christians class, but even if you were in that class, uh, it's a lot more content and, and some, other, some new things uh, that are in that, so I encourage you to check that out. You can find that on Spotify, uh, uh, iTunes, or actually the uh, Apple podcast, formerly known as iTunes. Uh, and the uh, Eastridge uh, Facebook page, and as well our, our website. Uh, but <clears throat> that's one of those new things that we're trying to do to communicate and to bring into your home and, and to uh, give you some things to encourage you and to, to think about what we're doing together so that we're all sort of still together uh, in those ways. Because here, here's the thing, I don't want to take anything away from what people are experiencing right now and the, the craziness of it. Even I know people are afraid and, and I know there's a sense of uh, that this is a historic moment, that it's unprecedented and it is unprecedented in many ways. Uh, there are some ways where it's not. Check out the podcast. Uh, but I, I don't want to take anything away from that, uh, from these days and the real suffering of people. But this is a historical moment and that means it's just a moment. It, it, it will pass uh, beyond us, and we will pass beyond it. And uh, what does it mean to be a Christian in these days? And that's a question that every single Christian throughout the last 2,000 years has had to ask in their time, in their days. 
But in our days, in these days, what, what does it mean to, to uh, be a Christian now and a vibrant uh, Christian? And I know that, again, uh, I know about my learning curve, and I'll bet it's like your learning curve right now is like it's turned into El Capitan. It's shooting straight up now. And uh, the learning uh, of Jesus' people now is important that we grow and we learn and, 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 and we, we get closer to Jesus now so that when we get past this moment, that we don't slip back, that we don't fall back because uh, it will be over. It is a moment. And uh, the reason I bring that up and go on about that moment is because that's a lot like the moment that uh, Peter, James, John, the men and women that followed Jesus and were following him around in these days uh, or, or in those days, um, they were feeling a lot like like too. They were, they were at a point by the time we get to Mark chapter 9 where we'll be today. They were at that point where they were starting to think, they must have been starting to think, I better take some notes. <laughs> I better take some, some uh, you know, make some references in my mind because I think I'm going to need this. Because it felt like another shoe was going to drop. It felt like something was about to catch. Something was uh, about to give. And uh, they wouldn't be around for those plagues that Ben talked about at the beginning of the first episode of the podcast that we talked about last week, where Christians stayed and ministered to people. And by the time uh, the, the people who ran away came back from you know, the Roman world, from the, the pagan priest of the pagan temples, uh, when they came back, they found most people had given their lives to Christ because they'd seen Christian love. They'd seen the love of God right in front of their faces. And, uh, the, but the Christians didn't shrink back in that moment either. And, and they wouldn't uh, these disciples wouldn't be around for that time, but you know what? They're, they're, they're teaching the teaching of Jesus. They're preaching uh, what Jesus had taught them to say. That was around. And that's what got people through the plagues in the second century and the third century and the century after that and the century after that and all the way up to our century to the 2020 corona pandemic. That's what will get us through. That's what will not just get us through, that we won't survive, just survive, but we will thrive. That's what will keep us going. That's what will make it. And so, so here are the disciples in 30 AD or so, and they're following Jesus around, and they've only been following him around for a couple of years. So think about that. And, and, and they've seen all kind of existential threats to them, too. They've seen sort of not-so-silent stalkers. They'd seen demons. They'd seen challenges to, de uh, to uh, Jesus' authority uh, from extremely mean people, from extremely nasty and obnoxious religious people. They'd seen natural disasters threaten what was going to happen and what was going on. And then they had the daily challenges and the daily confrontations with people who had the power to kill Jesus and kill them. Because they knew that the Sanhedrin, the, the Jewish council, had the power by their Jewish law to uh, deal with people who were blasphemers in those days like that. And, and, and they had the power to decide who was a blasphemer and who was not. So as we go to Mark chapter 9 today, we're going to start at verse 2. I want you to think about being those people, being one of those disciples, one of those followers uh, being Peter, James, and John, because with all that's coming at you, after uh, your hard but comparatively more peaceful life as a fisherman, here you are. How are you feeling about the future in those days? And I'm going to start reading at verse 2 of chapter 9 of the book of Mark, but um, just so you know, during these uh, live stream times, uh, for a lot of different reasons we won't get into, I'm using the ESV, the English Standard Version. Uh, during this time, and 
Uh, you're welcome to use whatever Bible you've got. I hope you have it out uh, with you in the living room or wherever you may be. And uh, you can, any translation will work. All the translations are, are, are very good and very helpful in our time. Uh, but I'm just using this one for some specific things that are in these texts. And chapter 9, verse 2 says this. And after six days, Jesus took him, Peter, and James, and John, and led them up a high mountain by themselves. And he was transfigured before them. And his clothes became radiant, intensely white, as no one on earth could bleach them. So again, let's give some context here. Some of the things that are important to be clarified here, where is this in the story that we're in? Where is this in the Bible story? Well, this is right pretty much in the middle. This is sort of the tipping point. This is things when things are really starting to get serious, even more serious than they were. There was a gathering storm. There was certainly, and it was an intense time that these guys were in the midst of. And Jesus says to Peter, James, and John, Jesus did have sort of an inner circle that he was expecting to lead the others and lead the others after he was gone. Peter, James, and John, come on, let's go for a hike. And so they, they go hiking, and it says it took them, after six days, they came to a high mountain. Now, that's significant, high mountain. That's a signal word for people that would be reading this, at least Jewish people. And the six days of traveling there would be, would, a, would be a signal word because there was another person in the Older Testament who had done exactly that, gone to a high mountain and stayed up there six days and received the word of God on that high mountain. And that is Moses when he went up for the Ten Commandments on Mount Sinai, which is on the far south of Israel. This is on the far north of Israel, probably, because they were just in Caesarea Philippi, which is in the far north. We saw that last week. But not only were they uh, in Caesarea uh, Philippi, but so is another very high mountain known as Mount Hermon. In fact, Caesarea Philippi is right at the foot of Mount Hermon. And so probably they went up to this high mountain. And believe me, it was a high mountain. It's like something like 9,232 feet. Uh, so let's not say that these guys weren't in shape. They were in good shape. They climbed a high, high mountain. I climbed uh, uh, a high mountain about that height, uh, 9,000 something, almost 10,000 feet at the time. It was called Mount St. Helens. It was two months before it blew up. It's not 9,000 feet anymore. But I'm telling you what, it took me six days to recover. So those guys were in some shape. But it says while they were up there, Jesus was transformed. That's an interesting word because uh, it's, it's a word that relates to us. Let me sh show you how. It, the Greek word is, is metamorphosis. Jesus was metamorphosed, like a, like a butterfly, metamorphosed. A change that takes place over him. So what we're right away meant to say or to see is that Jesus meant for this moment, he had a purpose for this moment for these guys to see who he really was. But there was a secondary, as we go through this Bible story, we'll see there's a secondary point, and that is that we can see who we can become if we have Jesus' presence in our lives. You see, this is the theme that the Apostle Paul, for example, picks up in the New Testament. In Romans chapter 12, verse 2, it says, Don't be conformed to the pattern of this world. And all of the things and the machinations and all the, the troubles and all the, the crazy stuff and the things we pursue to try to bring goodness into our life, don't, don't follow those patterns of the world, but be transformed. There's our word, metamorphosis. Be transformed by the renewing of your mind, that let the Spirit renew your mind is what it's saying. The same thing he says, a similar thing he says, is in uh, 2 Corinthians chapter 3, verse 18, probably the most important verse with regard to how Jesus sanctifies us on a day-to-day -day basis. It says, we are day by day being transformed into his likeness to be more like Jesus. 
And that's the same word, metamorphosis. So this is really important uh, word for us. This is really important thing that Jesus is doing. And, and Jesus had seen that look in their eyes, like what's really going on? Probably like a look that a lot of us feel like. I, I know I felt in these last few weeks, like what is really going on? What kind of good can you bring out of this Jesus? And, and, and there's a period, of, there's a time lapse for us between when we see the good Jesus brings out of something that's horrible and difficult and, and when we're just in it and it doesn't seem like anything but horrible and difficult, right? And they're, they're on the first end of that. They're, they're on the beginning end of that and, and we're at the beginning end of that. And so I think what Jesus would want to tell us by his metamorphosis is first, number one, we will be changed. We will see change in us if we follow him in these times. But secondly, what we'll also see as we'll get some clarity about what's really going on. We'll get some clarity about his presence with us. And that, for now, is enough. In other words, the clarity of Jesus' presence actually transforms the chaos that we are in and that we're feeling, that we're experiencing. There's a metamorphosis that can take place. And this is a supernatural deal. You can see that because it says no one on earth could bleach. You know, there was a whiteness like no one on earth could create. In other words, there had to be something more going on here. There had to be something supernatural going on here. And when we learn that, what that happens is it starts to, it doesn't mean we'll never be anxious. It doesn't mean we'll never be worried. It doesn't mean any of that. It just means that when we are in those anxious and worried moments, we'll be different. Something will be different. Something will be transformed. There, there will be different things going on in us and, and around us and will touch people's lives in a whole new way. Think of it this way, to make this as practical as possible. Do you have somebody in your life that's a mentor? Somebody you go to when things get crazy or, or you go to when you're trying to figure out a problem or try to understand something in the scriptures or whatever. Uh, and, and they're just somebody who's just sort of solid. You, you get sort of a, a non-anxious presence from them. You get the, you know, it's not that they're not concerned about things. They are concerned about things, but it's like, yeah, let's talk about that. Let me show you what I've learned about that, that kind of person. I, I have some like, like, I have some, several like that. I have some relatives like that. I have, I have uh, a, uh, a professor specifically like that. You've heard me talk about him before, Dr. Jim Houston. He, he lives up in Vancouver, B.C. He was first a professor back in uh, Oxford, England, up until in 1969. And now he's a, he was a founder of Regent College, and he's still uh, living up there in Vancouver, B.C., still there. He, uh, he's a man of great wisdom that I go to even today when I need to ask one of those problems that I don't think anybody else can un untangle. And he always has this sort of non-anxious presence. And he taught us about, you know, the spiritual life is the non-anxious life. You know, the, not that it's all this and none of that, but, you know, we grow and le become less anxious over time. And um, there's one affectation that he has. He's like 96, 97. He still has this. I saw it recently. I've seen him at conferences. I've seen him in his home. I've seen him in his, his, his uh, office at school uh, doing these kinds of things. I'm, the, I first met him on a picnic table. And, and I saw this right off the bat, that he has this affectation. And, and, and uh, don't tell anybody I told you this, okay? Because I don't know if he wants me talking about him like this. But anyway, here's the thing. When he gets excited and he gets into teaching about something about what Jesus is about to do or what Jesus can do in our lives if we just trust him a little bit more, he gets his leg, it starts to bounce like this up and down. And it starts to, and it's not a nervous tick. It's, I've learned over the years it's, it's excitement because he's starting to see what the presence of Jesus will do if we can have our eyes open to it. And I think 
that's the point of Jesus taking his disciples, these three disciples at least, up on this hill so they could see who he was. But there's another aspect here too, because what they saw was, verse 4, and there appeared to them Elijah with Moses, and they were talking with Jesus. Now, Peter, James, and John knew that this was sort of a moment when, when Elijah and Moses showed up. It was sort of a, you know, okay, this is a big, hairy, scary deal. This is a big deal because this is Elijah and Moses. Somehow they immediately recognized them because they'd been, they'd been taught that Elijah and Moses were the two greatest prophets and leaders of the Old Testament, the Older Testament. They, they knew that that was the case. In fact, what I want to ask us to do for us to understand and kind of get in their zone a little bit is to look at the last prophet that's in our Bibles in the Older Testament. Now, their Bibles had a different order of books. Uh, today, they, people call it the Tanakh order, but that uh, doesn't matter because even they realized that Malachi was the last prophet of the Older Testament before Jesus showed up because in there, God says, I'm going to go silent, and he goes silent for 400 years until the, the day of the Lord, until when I send my uh, servant, when I send my uh, Messiah, okay? But look at the last words of Malachi uh, chapter 4, verses uh, 4 and 5. And by the way, if you're having trouble kind of reading these through and you wanted to read the whole thing, get out your camera on your phone, take pictures of these, screenshots of it, or, or look the, uh, just write down the reference and look it up later. But here we go. Verse 4, remember the, the law of my servant Moses, the statutes and the rules that I commanded him at Horeb, which is another name for Sinai, Mount Sinai, for all of Israel. So remember my law, remember my teaching, remember my, uh, you know, my Ten Commandments. These are the last words of the Old Testament before he goes dark for 400 years. The prophets don't speak for 400 years. And verse 5, Behold, I will send you Elijah, the prophet before the great and awesome day of the Lord comes. So they knew that, and we'll see next week when we look at the next part of the passage, they, these disciples, Peter and James and, John, James and John, they knew that Elijah was going to show up. He was going to turn the hearts of children to their parents, to parents to their children, and all that kind of stuff. That's what it says next. But what, what Elijah meant was, okay, this is it. This is when God's presence is going to show up in a powerful way. This is what you've been waiting for. You see, the point is, is it helps us to see the story of Jesus' transfiguration when we look at it in sort of its epic universal terms, because when we do that, when we look at it in terms of the bigger story of what God's doing on this earth and has been doing for all that time on earth, it, it almost immediately collapses into a laser light that shines right on our moment, right on our lives. Let me show you what I mean by that from somebody that uh, you uh, may have heard me talk about before. In fact, you may have heard me uh, use this uh, quote before, but not all of it because there's some new stuff in here that I want to share with you. And I'm, I'm talking about a writer from the 20th century who was voted as the writer of the greatest book of the 20th century in, in, in poll after poll after poll. And I'm talking about the Lord of the Rings and J.R.R. Tolkien, the author of that. He, he, now we've seen the movies, Lord of the Rings. We've seen the three uh, Hobbit movies. There's no more Hobbit movies to be made because that's the extent of the book, although Amazon is going to come out with a Lord of the Rings uh, TV series. I hope they don't screw it up. But here's the thing. Uh, J.R. Tolkien lived in a time between, well, he went through World War I in the trenches. 
And then he lived in between time when they saw the gathering storm of World War II, and they lived through that. And it's in this time that he's writing Lord of the Rings. And, and uh, what, what you need to understand about Lord of the Rings, in case you've seen it in the, uh, the New Age section of your bookstore, okay, just in case you've, you've typed that in or you've seen that in the bookstore and you go, ah, you know, what's it do- doing over here? Maybe this is kind of a weird thing. No, it's not a New Age story. Some people have tried to make it a New Age story, but it, it's a pre-theistic story. It's a pre, uh, 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 it's not a post-Christian story. It's not a post-apocalyptic story. It's a pre-Christian story. But in an in a interview in the 1970s, early 1970s, before he died, Tolkien said, no, 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 you don't understand. God's name's not in Lord of the Rings. See, Tolkien was an authentic Christian himself. A lot of people don't know that. A lot of people haven't, don't want to acknowledge that. But he was a Christian, and he says, you need to understand, God is in the Lord of the Rings because it's an epic battle between good and evil, and it's, it follows on the long the lines of the gospel. It follows on the long the lines of, of evil just seeming like it's having its day, and then all of a sudden, light comes in, and goodness conquers it. And God's in there all the way through. And, and so I want to read you something that, that he says about this story, the gospel story, when he was talking about how he wrote his stories. And keep in mind, he's, he's saying this to a bunch of intellectual, intellectuals who are not just skeptical, but they were hostile to his Christian faith. Listen to this. He says, since we do not appear to possess a word that expresses it, this, the, the, this is, expresses this, this uh, epic moment that happens in the gospel and happens in every one of our lives when we become Jesus followers, I will call it eucatastrophe, the joy of a happy ending, a more correctly, a good catastrophe, the sudden joyous turn. It can give a child or a man that hears it when the turn comes, a catch of the breath, a beat and lifting of the heart near to tears. The gospel contain, gospels contain a story of a larger kind. This story has entered history And it has supremely convincing tone of a primary act, that is, of creation. To reject it leads either to sadness or to wrath. The story is supreme, and it is true. The art has been verified. God is Lord of the angels and of men. The legend and the history have met and fused. Now watch this. The Christian has still worked has still to work with, my, uh, with mind as well as body, to suffer, hope, and die. But he is now perceive, to perceive that all of his bents, all of his faculties, have a purpose which can be redeemed. That's why Jesus took us up on the Mount of Transfiguration. It can be metamorphosed. It can be changed. You see, the Jesus story is just like that story. In fact, it's the original story. It means that moments like this, the corona pandemic, moments like this, or moments like the transfiguration, which we'll see was very unnerving to these guys. As Tolkien says, it's, it's that right at that moment that God pulls the trigger for a eucatastrophe, a good catastrophe, something that's good, a cataclysmic good that, that takes us quantum leaps beyond where we are right now. In other words, what I think Jesus wants us to see through this story is that Jesus' presence, when we fully see it and finally see that he's in it, even in this, 
Jesus' presence is revealed in historic moments, in moments when we're kind of lost our balance because it's never been like this before for us. It's in those historic, seemingly unprecedented moments that Jesus is most clearly seen. He reveals himself in moments like this. And all I'm saying is watch for it. I mean, after all, this moment is history, and that means it's part of the story, the true story, as Tolkien said. In fact, Tolkien uh, later made the point that, you know what? Every compelling story goes back to the original gospel story. Every compelling story that we watch in movies, that we read in books, that we um, see on TV, the ones that grip us, you know, some of them are, you know, kind of, you know, tainted and muddied up with all kinds of other crud, granted. But any compelling story where all is lost, it seems hopeless, we're out of our league, we're beyond our control, there's nothing that can be done, that's the perfect story that exemplifies the gospel, which tells us that God is about to make his presence known and the catastrophe comes and the turn comes. What that means is your story, my story, is impossible to break away from or untether from the greatest story ever told, which is Jesus' story. Now, we need to cut the disciples, though, Peter, James, and John, some slack. Because they didn't have all of the revelation. They didn't have all of the divine revelation of Jesus revealing himself to them like we do. They're just sitting here halfway through the story, just a couple of years through, this, or through the story, maybe a year and a half, we're not quite sure. But that leads us to what Peter's going to say to next. We're going to have a little Peter moment here. I love this guy. He's so honest. And like I said, he's the patron saint of people who have the tendency, like moi, to whatever's in their head to come out their mouth. Look what he says next. Uh, what happens next in verse 5. He says, And Peter said to Jesus, Rabbi, which means teacher, Rabbi, it is good that we are here. Let us make three tents, one for you, one for Moses, and one for Elijah. For he did not know what to say, for they were terrified. And a cloud overshadowed them, and a voice came out of the cloud. This is my beloved son. Listen to him. You see, we need to kind of focus on three things here, three words. The tents, the cloud, and the voice. First of all, the tents. We're going to spend a little more time on that because the, the tents, we, we, we kind of think, Peter, what are you doing with tents? These guys are supernatural beings. I mean, what, what, how, are you, how are you expecting to do that? But we don't, it's because we don't understand. It's not because Peter doesn't understand. Peter's doing what everybody in his time would expect to do because what happens is uh, every time in the Old Testament, and these guys had been taught this since they were little kids. Every time in the Old Testament God does something powerful that there's holy ground, what do you do? You set up a temple or you set up a tabernacle. The word here for tent means tabernacle. You set up a tabernacle, you set up a tent. So it's the pattern of the Old Testament. He's just doing that. In fact, John, his younger sidekick, the Apostle John, who years and years and decades and decades later writes his gospel, in the beginning of his gospel, he uses the same word and the same concept to describe Jesus coming to earth. In verse 14 of chapter 1 of, of John, he says, the word that is the Messiah, the Logos, the God, became flesh and dwelt or pitched his tent, his tabernacle, among us. It's like Eugene Peterson says at that point. He says, uh, what that means is God pitched his tent in our backyard. That's, that's what Peter is, is, he's working with that concept. So we can't really be too hard on Peter. But 
what we really need is we need a little bit of what Peter is experiencing here because what he's experiencing is something he hadn't planned for. What we are experiencing is something we haven't planned for. It's, it's the planned with a capital P versus the unplanned with the, oh my word, I didn't expect this. That's what, that's what this moment is. That's what our moment is. And what I want you to know is there are a lot of unplanned signs of the supernatural that could be easy just to, you know, write off as if, oh, that's just circumstance, that's just coincidence, that's just daily life. But I can tell you, at least just pulling way back to a very small microcosm of only my point of view, only your staff's point of view in this church, things are happening that we haven't planned. It happens all the time. Katie comes to me and says, man, I didn't expect you to teach on that or say that and such and such. That's exactly what the song I picked. And I said, I know. I got another one of those last week from Heidi, our children's director. What you need to know if you don't have little kids is our children's ministry have been working overtime and they've been doing some amazing stuff. They've sent videos home. Katrina sent videos home for toddlers and preschoolers. And, and, and Jaron and um, Michaela have, have, have made those. It's, it's been a lot of fun to see that. Um, in fact, you grown-ups could learn something from that. You might want to check those out. Also, uh, Heidi has sent home curriculum to be done. I know that some of you kids are with us right now. You're in the living room listening with your mom and dad to this podcast. Thanks for being here. And uh, you're, you're working, too, on your uh, little notes and things that, 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 that Heidi has brought to you. And I got an email from Heidi last week that kind of explained this to me and just kind of really brought me up to, you know what? I need to pay attention to some of these things. Listen to this. It said, it also amazes me, once again, because she's told me this stuff before, that he, that is God, ties the kids so well to what you were talking about. We are doing a series called, quote-unquote, the, the Ultimate. And this is the perfect pairing. I'm so grateful that they are streaming you, the, the kids, and then getting a lesson that so directly ties their own lesson to them. Another unexpected gift within the quote-unquote inconvenience of this moment she's talking about, it covers some of the ways in which he is the ultimate, unquote, in fun ways. It's tied to Scripture. So here's some of the ways it describes what God does. Force field, mic drop, boom, orang. Maybe you adults need me to talk more like that. If we listen to you today, or if they listen to you today, they'll hear the adult version Always amazes me when God does this. And I think that, that's exactly right. We need to have our eyes open to the presence of Jesus. Because in the midst of the cloud, which is the next word we see here, this cloud descends. What Peter and James and John saw is, okay, this is, this is, there's something about holiness here. Because again, the cloud in the Old Testament descends on the tabernacle when God's there. Shows the Shekinah glory. Or, and then all of a sudden they know it's a, it's, it's a holy moment because God's voice comes out of the cloud. And it's, it's terrifying to them, granted, but it's the same thing that happens of God talking to them when Moses is getting the Ten Commandments on the Mount Sinai. And it's the same thing that these guys know because they've seen this before. And we're going to see it at the end. You see, if you follow the trail of the voice through the New Testament, through the Old Testament and then through the New Testament, you come to the end and the voice of God is at the end, in the last chapters. It, it, it confirms the purpose of what this whole thing has been about. What moments like this have been about and what moments like uh, 
the disciples are experiencing and the Mount of Transfiguration are about. Let me take you to the end there so you can kind of see the purpose because when we look through the rearview mirror of the purpose of what God has for us and what God's purpose for us is in all this, we begin to see uh, the smaller purpose with a smaller uh, P, uh, the purpose in this moment, the purpose in our time. In Revelation chapter 21, the voice of God comes from the throne where God is and explains to us exactly where this whole thing is headed called life on this earth and the earth itself. Verse 3 of Revelation 21. And I heard a loud voice from the throne saying, Behold, the dwelling place of God is with man. God's dwelling with us. There's the tabernacle thing again. He will dwell with them and they will be his people. And God himself will be with them as their God. So God's presence is the whole point of this. And look what he's going to do. He will dwell with them Uh, He will wipe away every tear from their eyes, and death shall be no more, and neither shall there be mourning, nor crying, nor pain anymore, for the former things have passed away. It's a historic moment. It's It's a trying moment. But even life itself is just a moment, and he's got this. And his presence is a foretaste of what will be. His presence is voice from the cloud, just like in chapter one where we saw the voice from the cloud when Jesus is baptized and he, the voice from the cloud says, this is my son, my beloved son, when, he looked, when Jesus is baptized. He says the same thing, this is my beloved son, listen to him. But notice the difference? The first time the voice is directed to Jesus, this time it's directed to the disciples. What he's saying is, it's almost like God is saying, I brought you up here so I could tell you this. You know that longing you have in your soul? You know that longing, that desire? It's, the, the answer is here. It's right in front of you. That longing that everybody feels, that hope that someday things will be different, that hope is embodied in the presence of Jesus right now. That Jesus being with us, that Jesus not having ever gone away from us because he promised to be God with us and to fill our souls, that is the fulfillment of that longing we have. It's like the great Christian Augustine said. He says, you know, there's a God-shaped vacuum. There's a God-shaped hole in every human soul, and we're restless until we fill it with God, when we, until we fill it with Jesus, his presence, until we sense that he is here and he sense that he is with us, that that causes us to be restless in life. No wonder we're restless because that's our longing. That's what we're meant for. That's the desire that we've always had. But what this story is telling us is he's here in the midst of this moment. And we can see it more clearly in this moment. We don't wish for these moments. God doesn't create these moments. Listen to the podcast. That's not what this is about. This is about God using a moment that we wish hadn't happened, that he wishes hadn't happened for good and turning the tables on the devil. You see, that hole within us that longs for him, that's why there's one, uh, that's the reason for uh, one other major distinction in Mark's story of the transfiguration. And what I mean by that is he doesn't tell a different truth, he just adds something that Matthew and Luke do not add when they tell uh, the story of the transfiguration. And it's verse eight. Suddenly, looking around, they no longer saw anyone with them but Jesus 
only. Now, I don't know how this happened. It doesn't tell us. We shouldn't speculate, so don't try this at home. But I imagine that the disciples are a little, still a little freaked out. They're closing their eyes, covering their eyes, or they're holding their ears because the voice is hard to listen to. It's so loud or it's just so great. They're, they're afraid they're, maybe I'm not supposed to hear this. And then they take their ears away and they open their eyes and there he is, Jesus. Just us, just me. <laughs> but he's there. Jesus is here. You see, Mark's conclusion of this story is different from Matthew and Luke's story in this one aspect. In Luke and Matthew, it just says they were alone. In this story, it says not they were alone, but they saw Jesus. There was Jesus only. He was there. He's not going anywhere. It's the unique role of the disciples and the transfiguration is described here. You see, what I think this means is it has something to say to us about ordeals like we're going through right now. Ordeals just like historical moments, just like cultural moments. Our ordeals are just moments, they're environments that are shaped perfectly for seeing the promise of Jesus' presence because his name actually means Emmanuel, it means God with us. And remember he promised before he went back uh, and ascended into heaven in Matthew 28, he says, I will never leave you or forsake you, which means he's still here. Which means it's in moments like this that we can see them. He doesn't cause them, doesn't need to cause them. Moments like this happen in a fallen world. But what that means is, is that God wants us to understand the power of the presence of Jesus, that it's the fulfillment of the hope and the longing of every one of our souls. And it's not just some, you know, wishy-gushy thing out there. It's about how we live life day-to-day -day practically. How we find that non-anxious presence in the midst of a very anxious moment. How we share that with other people and be kind of a, in an invitational space, an environment for them to get some rest and go, oh, at least here's somebody that believes that this is going to be okay. That God's going to do something. That there is a God. Apparently they've seen something I haven't seen. That kind of moment, being an oasis for people in that moment. You see, there's one, one thing that's interesting about this transfiguration story where Jesus has changed and transformed and he's talking to Elijah and Moses. There's nothing like this in all of ancient literature. None of those gods and the Romans or the Greeks, none of those stories, none of those tales, those tall tales. There's a, there brings an element of truth here. There's, there's, there's something that rings true about this story. This is different. This is different than any story that we have even in our modern era. That are just fairy tales and make-believe. And only Matthew, uh, Mark, and Luke tell a story like this. And, and to, to show you sort of the reality that comes with this, I want to go back to um, where Peter in verse 6 says, I didn't know what else to say. I, 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 I was just, I was terrified. What, what that really means is, is they were freaked out. The word is ek phobos. It, ek means out. Get out of. A phobos means fear. If you flip the words, it means freaked out. Don't take that to your 
Greek professor because he probably wouldn't want to go that far. But I do. So here, that's what it means. He was, he was terrified uh, of that moment. Uh, they, were, they didn't know what to do. They were beside themselves. And all of a sudden, Jesus shows them what to do by his presence. You see, this is important because I know what a lot of people say, even in moments like this. If God would just show up, if God would just empirically show up, put his foot down here, stop all this, put this all to rest, that, then I would believe him. And I want to say, no, you wouldn't. Neither would I. We would just be freaked out. We would just be not understand. what it, We would find some way of rationalizing it in our minds. But this event that we're in, the transfiguration event is God's signal that in the midst of all of our quarantining, in, in the midst of all of our feeling alone, we are not alone. He is here and he's got the power to do what he wants to do. And number one, it's just a moment. And the presence of Jesus changes everything. The presence of Jesus changes everything because it clarifies everything out of the chaos. It, 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 it's, it changes everything because Jesus' presence changes everything because it's divine revelation Jesus' presence is. Being able to see him is something we can't do unless Jesus reveals himself to us in this moment or any moment. His, his divine revelation is most easily seen in unprecedented historic moments. His, his, the hope of his filling our longing is most easily understood in moments like this. The, the keeping of his promise that we will not be alone, that we have one another, what that means, and that we have him, that is most powerfully expressed in moments like these, when he is transfigured or we see him for who he really is. It's what Paul says in 2 Corinthians. He says, when the Holy Spirit is there, just listen to him because it's at moments like this that you will know that he's the down payment of what I'm going to do in the end when you see it, like at the book of Revelation 21 when we looked at that. You know, that I'm going to be with you forever and we're going to, you're going to, I'm going to be your God and you're going to be my friends and we're going to be together forever. You see, Paul says it this way. He says, it's a moment like that when you recognize that God is with you, that Jesus is with you, by the revelation by his Holy Spirit that Jesus is with you, he says, let the Spirit have its full effect. Let it do its whole work in you. And I think that's his message for us. Let him do his whole work in us today. So that, and here's the big idea, so that seeing the presence of Jesus now will transform us and change us enough that we won't lose sight of his presence when it's over, when this is over, when this moment is over. The things will be different. Everybody's talking about how we'll never go back to the same, you know, and they won't go back to the same. And there's some things that I hope do go back to the same. But a lot of what, you know, is going on in our lives and in our country, I hope they don't go back to the same. I hope they don't go back to the same that we have more kindness and love for one another the, 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 to the degree that we're seeing that. I hope it doesn't go back to the same, that somehow we feel all alone and that we're just a bunch of autonomous selves bumping into each other. I, I, I hope it doesn't go back to the same, that somehow, you know, those are people of faith, of Christian faith, go, you know, wonder where God is in all this. Because we maybe don't know everywhere God is in all this, but I hope there's a sense that, boy, I sure know he's here in all this, so that doesn't go back to the same.
Because what the transfiguration points to, and therefore the moments like this point to, is that there is going to be a resurrection. And in two weeks we're going to talk about and celebrate the resurrection because it's going to be Easter. I very much doubt that we'll be talking about it in a different place because you'll probably be there and I'll probably be here. But we're going to talk about it. And yes, we will have Easter when we're all in this place, in this, our, our church building together. We will do that too. But for now, seeing a bit of a resurrection of our hearts and our souls because we've seen Jesus' presence, for now, that will do just fine. So let's pray together for that. Let me lead us. In your living room or wherever you are, you can, you can, uh, you can join in. Lord Jesus, thank you that you're present with us. Thank you that you came to be Emmanuel, God with us, and that you have never left Thank you that even in this moment you are here. That viruses, troubles, our negligence, our not paying attention, our fear. Thank you that the devil himself can't keep that from being true. In our daily lives, in our lives today, and ultimately when we live with you, when you come back and we get to be all together and all together with you. Thank you for that power of that presence. And I pray that that would descend in the heart and life of everybody listening to this today, in the heart and life of every person in our church family at Eastridge Church. And I pray that over the next couple of weeks, there would be that kind of resurrection in our souls. Because I know you want to give it, and you love to answer prayers like that. And as we do this, Lord, we remember we want to pray for the sick and the suffering. We want to pray for those in New York in Seattle, in Washington, and in our own state, and in California, and across this nation. We want to pray for the people in Italy. Oh, God, be with the people in Italy. Because that's where this all started, and they've been through this kind of junk before, even 2,000, 3,000, 2000, you know, 1,800 years ago. Be with the people in Europe. Yes, and be with the people in Iran. Help the people, save the people in China. We thank you for these moments. We thank you for how you will transform and you will be near to us. And it's so it's in your name, acknowledging your presence with us today, saying th- and saying thank you, but also saying we love you, that we pray these things. Amen.